Hello, and welcome to Suede. My name is Sarah Osteen, and I am excited to be uh, talking to my friend Sarah Martino today. I, uh, Sarah is the Vice President of Product Management, uh, User Experience, uh, Research, and Design at Accolade, and was previously at Concur for a long time, and we will we'll get into that. Um, I know Sarah because we met in a terrible labor and delivery class, and they were clearly, her husband Tim and Sarah were the the only normal people in the room, and uh, we have children who are about three weeks apart, and it's, uh, she's been a helpful mom as we've raised kids together, um, and she's also a a really interesting global leader. So, uh, Sarah, thank you for being here today. Sure. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, as I'm saying your title, I always knew that you were uh, vice president of, of product management. I didn't realize the research and design, the user experience research and design component. So do you, is your background he- heavily in the, the research and design piece of it? Nope. My background is pretty much in product management, although I yeah. got into kind of product management and engineering and tech a bit on accident. Um but it certainly is my passion. Uh, when I joined Accolade, uh, we had a pretty small UX team here, uh, and I took over product management for all the applications. And so it was a pretty natural fit to own UX uh, research and design as well. Uh, and I have a, a rock star kind of management team, an overall team here that's, I think, the best UX team I've ever worked with. I mean, I'm biased, but they're pretty amazing. Right. So was that intimidating to you to move into that space when you don't necessarily have experience in it? Or was it really more about, yeah, I have the right people on the group and in the group and that's, that's all I need? No, it was more exciting. Um, mostly yeah. because there are two uh, ladies that work for me, one that heads kind of research and design um, for our member facing applications and the other that heads that for kind of our health assistant facing applications. I can kind of talk about what that means <laughs> a little yeah. bit later. Um, yeah. And they're amazing, talented, knowledgeable, um, awesome people. And so it was more just being really excited to work with them, help them grow the practice here at Accolade. Um, so I wasn't really concerned at all. Perhaps I should be. No, no, <laughs> but no. That's, that's in there my mind. <laughs> no, that's great. Okay, that's great. So, um, so one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today was because you've built this very interesting career for yourself and have, uh, you know, pretty early on in your career aligned yourself with senior executives or at least gotten the attention from them to the point where they want to bring you along. Uh, for the ride. And so I, I'd love to learn a little bit about kind of what influenced your move from Concur to Accolade. You were at Concur for nine years. Is that right? Gosh, probably years? more than that. Um, yeah. Something like that. Probably yeah. 10. Maybe 10 more. years. Yeah. A long time. A very long time. Yeah. So tell yeah, me about I, that that move or what, you know, the, the transition. Sure. I mean, I think going back to the Concur days, I was pretty lucky Uh, My husband and I both worked for a startup called Outtask, which is going way, way back. Um, And so when that company got bought by Concur, Concur was still a pretty small company. Um, And so I got a chance to meet all of the executives, including Raj and Mike and Elena and kind of the whole crew. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got a chance to have some really crazy big opportunities there uh, that I I don't know that somebody my age or, or my background would have necessarily gotten. And so I got to work hand in hand on some of the biggest things in the company, launching the SMB business, um, building out expense globally. Um, and that 
really gave me the relationships and and kind of the confidence uh, to be able to work across that business. And then when SAP purchased Concur, um, is it 2015? I, the, the years all blur together at this point. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I, do, I do recall that I had like just found out that I was pregnant with Alice the day that the deal was announced. And so it was that's, a pretty, that's pretty like, emotional day. That's like too many um, things. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of things. So that would have been 2014. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going back. Um, yeah. You know, when SAP purchased Concur, they were really good to me. Um, they were really good to all of us. I was still very much gung ho with Concur, really excited to be there. You know, I had Alice, I came back from maternity leave. Um, but I kept in contact with Mike and with Raj, Mike Hilton kind of ran the team I was on at Concur for many years. And, you know, we were, we were all kind of a a tight knit family. Um, and so, you know, we kept up and I went to, a bit of a, I think it was maybe a happy hour. And I got a chance to meet some of the people at Accolade and hear about what they were doing, um, which is basically uh, kind of healthcare advocacy, healthcare navigation. And I got to hear all these stories of, you know, getting somebody, you know, through the insurance system and able to have, you know, brain surgery, you know, for a tumor that, you know, was, was declined earlier and, you know, getting medication for a mom that couldn't afford it for their kid. Uh, The wheels kind of started turning. Um, and I, it was really tough. It was a really tough decision. It was one of those situations where, you know, back at Concur, Elena Donio had taken over as, as president and she was a huge mentor of mine. And then you had on the other side, kind of Raj and Mike at Accolade, um, and for me, it came down to, um, you know, both opportunities were amazing opportunities, but really the mission that Accolade had, the ability to go and kind of start something small again and, and be there at the building of it uh, and like all that hard work and all the craziness that happens with that, um, that kind of pushed me to, to making the call to come here. So is it fair to say the content of Accolade was part of the reason with the, you know, there's this excitement to be a, a, a part of a new venture, but also the content was more interesting to you than what you were working on at Concur? Yeah, probably the mission. I mean, I love, don't yeah. get me wrong. I love expense reports. Yeah. They're yeah. responsible for a <laughs> lot of things in my life. Sure. Um, but, you know, at the time my mother was going through breast cancer treatment and I was helping her navigate that experience and the doctors and the insurance companies and all of that. Um, and we'd struggled for many years to have Alice. And so I had to navigate infertility and all of the fact that you don't get any health insurance (laughs) benefits and you kind of have to figure that out on your own. And so that is in this state, you know, yeah, at least in this state where where I've lived for many years, you don't really, you got to become your own expert pretty much. Yes. And so the idea of going to a company that basically helped people navigate all those situations and helped them get through those situations and supported them was really just unique. Um, and so that the combo of those two things, and certainly for me, as you do, I'm a pretty analytical person. So I did this big spreadsheet of like pros and cons <laughs> and priorities and all of that stuff. And, um, at both places, I got to work with people that I truly loved and admired. And so um, that helped push me over the edge as well in terms of just working with a crew of leaders um, that I just couldn't be better set up with. Yeah. 
is very cool. Um, just kind of going back even to the early days of Out Outtask. Is that the name of the company? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Outtask. People used to mistake it for Outcast, which yeah. is not Outcast. Um, but yes. <laughs> and is that where you met Tim? It is. Nice. Uh, it was a. Uh, I originally the term Outtask. Like we started with a pretty broad idea of kind of outtasking like CRM and product software. And it quickly became really a travel and expense management company uh, with a pretty big focus on travel. Um, And so Concur bought Outtask um, for really the travel side of that business. Right. And so what you, you mentioned that there were some opportunities to connect with senior executives then, but what did that like, how did you get the opportunity to have conversations with Raj recognizing here you are at this small company or smaller company? Was it just luck or was there, were there opportunities you sort of capitalized on there? Um, Kind of all of the above. Um, A lot of it was Raj himself um, in terms of leadership styles and I don't, I still don't know how he does it. He, I think, memorized every single name of everybody at Outtask week wow. one. And he knew something about us in terms of like, hey, you're a Denver Broncos fan. And um, he made a lot of time sitting with us as yeah. we transitioned into becoming a part of Concur. And he did that for all the acquisitions, even as Concur got bigger. And so a lot of that was just that very transparent and open management style where you could have any conversation. And there were numerous opportunities to do so. Um, part of it certainly was me. Um, I've always been a little bit fearless in terms of raising my hand for opportunities of like, Hey, I'll do that. Sure. Like I'll take on that extra project. I'll take on that extra work. Um, even more so probably when I was, uh, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties. Um, and part of it was the management team that I had, like they gave me lots of opportunities. Um, now I was successful at those projects, obviously. And so the more successful you are, that usually, breeds more and more opportunity to, you know, speak in front of exec staff and board meetings and things of that nature. Um, but it was probably a combo. Yeah. Well, and it's, if somebody is presenting the opportunity to connect with you, if he's sitting down and spending time with you and getting to know you as a person, it can only behoove you to like share and, you know, (laughs) make the time to, to build that relationship. sounds like you did that really well. Yeah. And I'm not shy as anybody who knows me will attest to. Right. Do you see shyness and extroversion or introversion as the same thing? Or because I don't know that I would 100% call you like a true extrovert. Maybe you would. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm that's wrong. That's a good point. No, yeah. no, I am not the light. I mean, there no, are. I mean, you're, you are the life of the party. <laughs> that's not, that's not to say you aren't fun. Um, I'm just wondering, no, like. But I am not. I, let's put it this way, like, especially after like meetings and traveling, there are nights when I want to very quietly stay in right, <laughs> and read right. a book and have a glass of wine. Yeah. Um, so I would probably say I'm a mix of extroversion and, and introversion. I think for me, and it's probably not shyness, I like opportunities to present ideas and talk about strategy. And I like a stage. I like a microphone. Like that is for sure. Yeah. Um, especially if I know what I'm talking about. And so those opportunities, and a lot of them are presentation-based where you're you know, either standing on a stage or presenting to an, a group of executives, that's always excited me. And so I've always kind of jumped at those chances, mm-hmm. even though I may not be the loudest person in every room. Um, that's something I've become good at and something that I enjoy doing. 
Yeah. Yes. Very cool. I'm just thinking about the introvert who might be listening to this. And I certainly in my coaching practice work with senior executives as well who are introverts. Uh, But, you know, navigating power dynamics or within an organization successfully does not require that you are necessarily an extrovert. I guess what I'm hearing you say is like capitalizing on opportunities. And when there are opportunities to speak publicly about things that you know about, kind of taking advantage of them. Yep. And know your strengths. I mean, there are certain things, again, I'm older now uh, than I was then. And, you know, (coughs) excuse me, the older I get, the the more I'm very aware of like the things that I'm good at and the things I'm maybe not so good at. And capitalizing on those um, and using them to my ability and also capitalizing on like I'm in the leadership role now, a pretty big one at this company. And so I need to be more outspoken at times and more of a listener at times. And so being able to go back and forth between those skill sets, it's different than it was probably for me like five years ago or seven years ago. Yeah. Um, When you have the ability to give others the chance to take on that next leadership role. Right. So I'm probably a little bit nuanced in terms of how I approach a situation and who's in that room uh, and what the intent of is intent is of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's let's keep going down that path. You manage a team that's based in both the US and in Europe. Is that is that right? Um, kind of, um, I have one team member that's in Prague, um, who's part of kind of the, the, the crew as she works for a woman that works for me. And so, um, but I certainly have a group in Seattle. I have a group in Plymouth meeting, uh, which is outside of Philadelphia, uh, this one individual in Prague. Uh, and then back in the concur days, I had a group of probably 25 people that were spread out across multiple, uh, locations in the States, uh, Germany, France, the UK, and I may be missing one at this point, but that was a that was a pretty big global team. Yeah, yeah. And so, what in your experience does it really take to successfully manage a, a globally diverse team? Yeah, there's big things and small things. Um, one of the big things is a lot of time on airplanes, like especially when you're taking over a team or concurred some acquisitions, or like here at Accolade, we were hiring pretty quickly. Um, I spend a lot of time on planes um, because there's nothing quite like sitting down in front of people, getting to know them, having them get to know you, building the relationship, building the trust. Um, That is not the easiest thing to do, certainly. Mm. I spend a decent amount of time on planes out to Prague now, um, which does not suck. I mean, Prague is a lovely city. (laughs) There are worse places to go. Uh, My European trips, especially before Alice, when uh, it was a little bit easier to, uh, to manage schedules, those were we're fun trips as well. Um, but you need to spend some time on the ground. And then I have my team members, um, come out here to Seattle or we meet up in Plymouth meeting as well. Um, I think there are small things though, too, time zones, right? Um, everybody has to kind of take the bad time. You know, there, I do meetings at 5am. Um, I do meetings at 6am. A lot of times they'll do meetings at 7pm, you know, in between putting a kid to bed. And so you have to space out, kind of the fairness and the empathy for what time it is uh, where people are working. Um, Things like video chats, making sure that you're using video so you can see people, you can talk to people, you can continue to make that connection. Um, Those are all nuances, but they're really important in terms of being able to communicate effectively and get on the same page. I would say there's a lot of cultural nuances as well. Um, 
depending on like if I think about the difference between having the team in Paris uh, versus the UK versus Germany versus Prague, um, you know, Germany and Prague are a little bit more of a tell it like it is. Um, I would say more of kind of a glass half empty type of culture where like you're always looking at what's going to go wrong, what's not going to work, which is amazing. Um, it, it makes the teams really efficient, but it's a very specific way of looking at the world. Uh, they like to call us the awesome Americans because we go for there, especially from Seattle and we're rah-rah um, about everything. Right. But you have to consider that lens and you have to consider the best way to approach that team to have a conversation. I might be more blunt uh, with the team in Prague and Germany than certainly I would be uh, in France, uh, where there's a lot of nuances to the way to approach a conversation. Um, but it takes time to learn all of those things, right? It takes time. You can read books and you can kind of read business studies of like, hey, you're going to this culture to do business. You know, here are the things you need to know. But like with anything, it's building relationships, it's paying attention, it's really taking the time to understand what's going to work there that's going to be different than, you know, what, what would work in Seattle uh, or on the East Coast. Yeah, I love that idea that you, part of your job as a manager is is figuring out what's going to work for them. It's not just about the, the task or, you know, getting completing the project, but really spending time figuring out from a strategic perspective what's going to work for them. Yep. And it's a lot of like, I would say almost root cause analysis. I had this discussion with somebody the other week and just, I, we had a project that, that was, it was going well, but there were just some, some weird things that were going on. And, you know, some folks were getting frustrated with each other. And I was like, guys, let's just step back. And like, let's, let's look, I was actually talking to a doctor about this and he was like, well, have you considered the factors that are leading to this, right? Look at the cause of the, of the problem. And so go, which is hard to do without ego, without like, you know, frustration, go all the way back to, okay, what are the things that could be causing this? And we figured out that some of the things were cultural. Um, and, you know, one team was saying something and not meaning intent. And the other team was taking it in a, in a way that was the opposite of that, the way that the original team intended it. And so you have to be thoughtful if you want to have effective teams uh, that actually enjoy working with each other, which is a requirement for me <laughs> with all the teams I work with, like you, you spend a lot of time doing this. Uh, you should really like each other. Right. Should be hard, but fun. Right. Yes. Uh, th th that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you, you, <laughs> you had sort of, you started this, like the first thing you said was about getting on planes. And so how do you sort of, how do you weigh the benefits recognizing, you know, you have a small child at home, how do you get yourself into that place psychologically to to see the benefit of of logging all this time on planes and and traveling and that sort of thing? That's a good question. Um, planes, man. I'm a little sick of planes right <laughs> <I know>. now. <laughs> um, but it's good. I've I've gotten very efficient on planes. You know, I think it depends on the on like the life cycle of what's going on. So. I've been at Accolade about two and a half years. Um, and originally, most of my team was here in Seattle. So that was pretty easy, right? Like, we're all here. Uh, we could meet. We could talk. We could solve problems. We could figure things out. And then I took over um, some of the folks, um, kind of managing some of the folks in Plymouth meeting probably about six or seven months in. And I just made a conscious decision of, like, these are amazing people. Um, and I need to put the time and the effort in uh, to 
to understand and meet with them and understand what they wanted out of their careers and what the teams are working on and what the projects were. Um, and so I thoughtfully planned out maximizing those trips, obviously working with my husband, he travels some too. So we have a little bit of a, like, you know, shared calendar of like, okay, this week is your week. This week is my week. Um, and just said, okay, this is what's going to have to happen for the next six months. Um, and put that time in and then, you know, now I don't go, I don't have to go there uh, quite as often because we've built the relationships. We have some folks that, that are going to come here in a couple of weeks. Um, but it was just being intentional and being planful in terms of how am I going to make this work? Obviously having a small child at home, uh, doesn't make it easy, uh, when mommy is gone, you know, Monday morning at 7am and comes home Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of the way it is. I think it's probably good for her too, as she gets older, that it's not like mommy and daddy, um, both do that. And so seeing that and having special time equally with either one of us, um, uh, I hope, uh, will teach her something in terms of, you know, seeing working parents and, and seeing how important she is and how special she is. Oh yeah. I, I think it's wonderful. And it's not like she's suffering. Uh, no, <laughs> right. she, she does all right. She does all right. She has, she has a pretty good <laughs> lifestyle. Indeed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm personally very interested in the concept of intrinsic motivation and it just occurs to me that, or it feels like to me that you are motivated beyond just this is what's sort of required to get the job done. If I want to work strategically, I need to meet with them in person. There is actual joy that you get out of enabling people to 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 work better and to to be able to be more successful in their roles, and therefore that requires traveling and meeting with them in person. Is that fair to say, or is yeah? yeah. Well, and giving, you know, it was. Accolade specifically, you know, you had a company that had been around for a number of years and then you had like Raj and Mike and all these, you know, West Coast, Seattle, like ex-concur people come in. And so that also was pretty, I think, hard on the folks over in Plymouth Meeting. And so just spending time there to know each other as people and understand where everybody was coming from um, and making sure that that crew felt supported because they're amazing. Like they are some of the best people I've ever worked with. Um you can, I mean, the only way to, to get everybody on the same page is probably to spend the time. And I like it. I've had people who've believed in me and, you know, we talked about giving people the opportunities to meet with executives and, um, perform on a big stage and all those good things. I had a lot of those because I had really good bosses, uh, that gave me the opportunity. And so my most fun thing, I got to promote a couple of folks at the end of last year, uh, two of the the women from Plymouth meeting and then um, one of the guys here in Seattle. And that was like my most fun day ever uh, is to be able to, to give somebody the news that they've hit the next level in their career. That's fun. That makes, that makes up for the really hard days uh, that you have when you're building a business that's this size. Yes, I can imagine. We talked about this as we were on a little walk celebrating a, an important <laughs> birthday uh, for you in, in Whistler. <laughs> and I remember being sort of shocked. You were sort of teary-eyed talking about it. And I think of you as being pretty tough. Um, like you, n- not in a bad way, but you get shit done. And I, it was, yeah, it was very, it was enlightening for me because it was pretty clear that um, this meant a lot to you and it's, it's worth it for the, the long days and, and that sort of thing. 
Yeah. yeah. The people mean a lot to me. Yeah. Like that is, I, you know, you talk about like looking at, you know, your core values, whatever you want to call it. If you look at, you know, how your management style and leadership style is like, I am fiercely protective of, of the people that work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's one way <laughs> to get me emotional or upset, it's, it's <laughs> when that gets challenged. Yeah. Other than that, you're right. I'm a pretty no nonsense, get shit done. Like, what are we going to do to solve this problem type of person? Right. Um, but the people matter. Yes. Yes. So obviously you're really good at it. Um, do you have, are, are there any examples that you can think of where you sort of wish maybe you had thought differently about how you develop somebody or stumbled along the way as you were learning how to manage people? Totally. God, I mean, <laughs> nobody is, I think, again, luckily I had really good role models and people right. to look up to. Um, I think one of the things I had to learn the first time I took over a team, there's two things. Um, one is that hiring is super important. I remember I had, I took over a team of engineers for the first time, um, which is not my wheelhouse, right? I've never been an engineer. I, I certainly understand engineering. I understand the technology. I, I've, I've, I've written a couple lines of code. That was one of the uh, challenges an old boss gave me in terms of you have to be able to write a couple of lines of code if you're going to, you know, take a larger role in a product and engineering organization. Um, but these were folks that didn't have the same experience as me, right? Like I know product, like that is my wheelhouse. Um, and so I, I met with one of my other engineering counterparts and I was like, Hey, what advice would you give me? And he was like hiring. If you hire the wrong person culturally into your team, doesn't matter how great they are, how efficient they are, how like capable they are, you'll kill the team. Um, which was, helpful for me to be like, okay, that I can do like culture. I can do like, I understand talking to people and trying to under, try to figure out if they're going to be a fit for the team. Um, but that was hard, right? If you have people that are working for you and you haven't done that job, I stumbled a couple of times cause I would put my own, and this is the part two that I'm getting to. I would put my own experience on it, which wasn't relevant. Um, and so stepping back and, and peeling back the situation and peeling back the coaching um, there, that it wasn't me being it's like, you should do this, but more listening to, okay, how would you handle that situation better? What did you learn from that situation? Uh, that was hard to do. And it's certainly something that I think, well, I continue to work on. I'm guessing everybody continues to work on coaching and try not to see everything through your own lens. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also this, and I'm not hundred percent certain, but this is what you're saying, but we all have unconscious bias. And so oh, yeah. in the, which often shows up in the hiring process, right? We hire people who have similar experiences or backgrounds or whatever, and then they ultimately aren't the, the right fit. Is, mm-hmm. is that what you're getting at? Or are you talking about more sort of how you coach somebody after they were hired? Uh, so it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, certainly there's unconscious bias. I would, I was talking more about the bias of coaching people in terms of coaching them. Like I would want to be coached and my right. experience and my background, that makes sense. <clears throat> I think from a hiring perspective, um, it's more along the lines of not just looking at a resume, um, but looking at, is this person going to fit in with the team? Like, do they bring something to the team, right? That is like, are they a different person? Do they bring a different skill set? Are they going to make us better? Because ultimately that's what I care about. I want this company to succeed. Um, I did earlier in my career, like I, I hired somebody for the resume. It was the wrong hire. Um, they didn't ever jive with the team. Um, and eventually we had to pay the, you know, the costly mistake of figuring out a better spot for that person. Right. right. 
Well, I, I think hiring is woefully underestimated at times of, of how hard it is. And it also requires a lot of time, which as a manager, that feels like the last thing you want to be doing sometimes because you want to get stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. But a bit important. That was a lesson I had to, to learn. And obviously you can't, when you hire somebody, you can't see like you're hiring like the, based on interviews, right. Based on a resume, you can't see all of it, but I've gotten a lot better at getting to the core of like what motivates people and, you know, why would they be a good fit and why this might be a good opportunity for them. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, you've mentioned Raj and the other folks who, ha- you know, senior leaders that have been there for you uh, along the way. Would you say that those have been sort of the biggest influencers on you in terms of how you think of your career? Or I guess I'm really interested in is terms of why are these people such good mentors, if you would consider yep. them mentors? Certainly. I think, you know, uh, Raj is probably a little bit above uh, mentor in terms of like day-to-day mentor. I think Mike and then Elena Donio, uh, who I got a chance to work with, uh, concur pretty closely on building the SMB business. Um, the two of them, plus a guy named Sanjay, who is my immediate boss, and Fong, who's my boss now, who actually was also my boss at Concur, um, have taught me a ton. Um, have taught me a ton in terms of the way to see strategy, the way to look at the industry, the way to look at in- innovation, the way to look at building a vision. Um, and I think on the macro level, all of them have a similar leadership style in terms of transparency, uh, in terms of being honest and authentic and, and being kind and being a human being, um, in terms of not, not getting focused on like that one day in that one situation, but the bigger picture. Um, so I've been super lucky, um, with just overall leadership influence and direct, uh, mentorship and the ability to to sit down and work with people. Yeah, anybody who can help you see the bigger picture when, particularly when you're younger and if you're sort of just like yeah. worried about what's five feet ahead of you, that can be really powerful. Certainly, I mean, I remember Elena saying to me two things. <laughs> I always, I would always ask her for feedback, and she's she's a pretty tough lady uh, and a pretty blunt lady in terms of feedback. She does not sugarcoat. Uh, by any means. Um, you know, I got into the habit of asking for feedback after like presentations I would do for exec staff or for her team or other things. And, um, you know, there were times when I, I knew that the feedback was going to be really good. Right. I was like, so yeah, of course, please give me feedback. Um, and other times where I was unsure and she said to me, listen, you have to be ready to accept this feedback. I'm going to give you the feedback. It doesn't mean that you're doing badly at your job. It means I want to get you to the next level. Um, so I'm going to be blunt about it. And it it took me a while to be able to see that as the gift that it was and not take it personally. I think when you're younger, you take everything personally mm-hmm. of like, oh my God, I'm doing that wrong versus like, oh, okay, I should have been clearer on this point. And I should not have apologized for this other point over here. I think when you're younger, you, you know, your, your concrete reaction is to be like, oh, I'm sorry, versus no, this is what I think. This is why we've done the research and why we're making this uh, proposal. Um, that was hard. And now, I'm, now I love it. I'm kind of like, well, bring it on, right? Like the, the, now it's harder. The, 
<clears throat> the more senior you get, people don't necessarily want to give you feedback because they, you know, don't want to be as blunt with you, especially if they work for you or if they're in kind of lower parts of the organization. Um, I think the other big thing she taught me was that it doesn't have to be your idea. It's actually better if maybe you're championing something, but it ends up being 15 people's idea or the executive that you really need on board with that idea. I think when you're younger, it's everything like you're driving everything and this is my thing and it's my idea. Um, but the higher up you go, it's really about getting people on board and it makes no difference as long as it gets done. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so any sort of thoughts on what it took for you to get to that point where the feedback didn't feel so personal? Is it just Was it just time or was there anything else that allowed you to to absorb it and, and really take on that more learning mindset. <clears throat> uh, time was certainly part of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but also seeing results from it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody would say, you know, again, Elena <laughs> was pretty blunt, but I got other feedback from other people. I am a person that likes a plan, right. And a list and like, okay, I'm going to do these four things and get better at this and write those two lines of code. And I'm going to get that promotion. And it's hard to make a plan for something if you don't know the areas that you need to build upon. Um, and so when I started looking at feedback of that, it's like, okay, well, these are the things I need to work on if I want to get to the next level or get the next opportunity or become better at X, Y, and Z. Um, it kind of changes your approach versus the like, inclination to be emotional of like, you're criticizing who I am as a human being, which is not the case. Uh, it is what do you need to do um, if you you know want to succeed in these areas? I think the other thing is knowing you can't be good at everything, right? Like you're not going to be, I mean, maybe, maybe Raj is good at everything, although I doubt he would say that. I doubt Mike would say that. I doubt Elena would say <laughs> that. You know, know your strengths and know the areas where, especially as you get higher up in an organization, you don't have to work on or you don't want to work on or you're deprioritizing, right? You can't work on everything. Um, You kind of have to know, and maybe this comes with age, you kind of have to know who you are as a person and what's important to you and the things you will choose to work on versus maybe the, the not things that are not the right opportunities or not the right, you know, things that you want to work on. Yeah. I think you're talking about sort of the validation process you go through when you receive feedback and you take both a data driven approach. So, Right. Mm-hmm. If I'm getting this feedback and it has these results, then there's there's a benefit to me. And then, yeah, the sort of um, self actualization piece of it. Like I know myself, and <clears throat> here's here's how I can improve, and here's areas where I'm I'm less interested. Yeah. yeah. Or that would change too much of who I am. And like again, <laughs> with age, I think well, at least me. The older I get, the less I care yeah. <laughs> about certain things. Right. I care about. You know, I care about the teams I work with. I care about accolades succeeding. I care about this being a, a good place to work, uh, especially, um, you know, as I look at other women uh, in the organization. But I I care less about some of the other bullshit. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, um, I want to say thank you. I think it's true, though. Like, you, you have a, a clear sense of what motivates you and what keeps you happy. And when things aren't in those buckets, then it's a little bit easier to make decisions around that. Uh, So this is awesome. Um, I feel like I could ask you 50 more questions, but I'm respectful of your time. And uh, maybe we can do this again in six months or a year and see if you have any other 
thoughts around managing global teams and getting feedback and all these other important thoughts. Totally. As you can tell, I like to talk, so I would be happy to uh, to join you again for sure. Well, I love it. And thanks again. Thanks.